Moses, the way of an intercessor. Part one by Rod Anderson. My name is Rod Anderson, and before we begin, I'd like to tell you just a little bit about myself. I come from an unfortunate background of drug abuse and crime involvement as a young man, where I found myself imprisoned and basically altogether undone. Through a series of truly miraculous incidents, however, God worked a miracle in a California courtroom, and rather than being sent back to prison, I was sent to the program at Teen Challenge, where I was instructed in the Word of God four hours a day five days a week by a truly amazing Bible teacher. Now some say I was brainwashed, to which I say thank God as I truly needed my brain washed from all the mire that it had been exposed to through all my abuse. That period of time birthed in me a deep love of the scriptures and a strong desire to understand why I believed what I believed. Scripture tells us to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Slowly but surely my mind began to be renewed and I was shortly asked by a large church in Southern California to come on staff solely as an intercessor. I was salaried to pray. While there I truly experienced a baptism of fire in the area of prayer and seeking God because I knew nothing about prayer, but I had an overwhelming sense of responsibility to be faithful to those who had put the responsibility of praying for over 2,000 people in their weekly prayer requests into my hand. I threw myself headlong into this journey called prayer, and I'm sure I've made every mistake in the book, but God in His great faithfulness met me time and time again with many miracles and encounters. Since then, I've been the principal of a Bible school, pastor of a church, European Director of an International Ministry. But today our focus remains and our heart's desire is that of training and equipping God's people towards true spiritual maturity and Christian leadership through developing living intimacy with Jesus Christ. Along the way, the Lord had me study some of his dealings with Moses, which I found so helpful in my own understanding. These lessons that you're about to listen to are some of that which he taught me along the way. My prayer is that as you study, you'll discover keys that will unlock some of the mystery of prayer in your own life and how God works through His covenant. As you study the relationship that Moses had face to face with his Maker, you will learn valuable lessons for your own daily walk. To get the most from this teaching, I'd really like to encourage you to get hold of the study guide that we make available with this series and also an Amplified Bible, which is what I solely use in these teachings. And take notes as you listen. I believe the Lord will meet with you as you study, and you, like myself, will be launched into a lifestyle of prayer. May God richly bless you as you listen. Lesson 1. Father, we thank you again uh, for the great teacher of the church who is the Holy Spirit. The Holy One, we do ask once again that you would be mighty within us to teach us and to guide us into truth. Our desire, Father, is that our ears would be inclined unto your word. And my desire, Father, is that we would hear your word as it is in truth, the word of God and not the word of any man. So, Lord, we, we plead with you again as we begin, Lord, that you would grant us your spirit of wisdom 
and revelation in the knowledge of Christ because we want to know what is the hope of our calling and what is the riches of the glory of your inheritance that is in us because we are sons and daughters of God. Hallelujah. So Father, I ask for your help again today. Please help me. Please help all of us. Please have our ears be open to your word. And I trust that your anointing will be with us, Father, to, to liberate us and bring freedom in areas. And hopefully, Father, to build faith in us again so that we know that every single one of us have been called to be world changers. Every single one of us. Father, that you've imbued with your spirit. You've filled us with the very life of Christ himself, you said. You filled us with the very fullness of the Godhead bodily. You filled us with the very same spirit who hovered over the face of the earth in the beginning of all creation. He's seen everything. He's done everything. He knows everything. And you've placed him within us. And you said that we could learn to yield to him. And that he would guide us and teach us and show us things to come. So we're trusting you, Father, for impartation from your spirit. Because, Lord, we're here to hear from you and to learn from you. We're here to be strengthened in our faith, Father, and strengthened in our walk with you. And again, Father, positioned in the body as it pleases you. So I just trust your help in this matter, Lord, as, as we begin to look at Moses, your servant. In Jesus' name, we ask this. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, let's turn to Exodus and let's begin this thing here. Hallelujah. See where it takes us. As you see in the top of the notes, I'm simply calling it Moses the training of an intercessor. So I'll, I'll just read the little first paragraph that I wrote there and then we'll begin to look at Scripture. I just want us to look at some parallels. Like I said, there's much more to come, but I want us to see this as we begin. Moses, of course, the word literally means drawn out of the water, but Moses was drawn out of the water by the hand of God and nurtured by the world for the first part of his life. Moses, of course, is considered a type of Christ, and I, I'm sure most of you in here, you're, you're all familiar by this time with what I mean by types and shadows and so on in the Bible. Moses is considered a type of Christ in that he's used of God to deliver God's people from Egypt, which is a type of the world and its system, Egypt, that is. But beyond that, though, is Moses the man, Moses the intercessor, the one who's called between God and man, with all his doubts and misgivings, and yet Moses the man who is so mightily used of God. So an overview of just some of his journey, and I really want to say just some of it. I'm surely not going to uh, even attempt to tell you that I'm going to cover Moses in his entirety. But an overview of just some of his journey is very beneficial to all of us in the body of Christ who find ourselves working, as it were, in this position where we find ourselves between God and man in prayer. Between God and man in prayer. And as I said, the whole background, really, we need to read Exodus 2, 3, and 4 for this. And I'm not going to read all of that right now, but I am going to read Exodus chapter 2. So I'm going to read through all of Exodus chapter 2, and then we'll come back and begin to walk through this. Now, like I said even before we began, I'm very aware that some of this is very, 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 very familiar, but all Scripture is familiar to us. But again, please approach it with a fresh mind and understand that we're going to build a foundation and just try to get some things settled before we get to other kind of meaty things, as it were. Verse 1 of chapter 2 from the Amplified Bible. Now Amran, a man of the house of Levi, the priestly tribe, went and took as his wife Joshebed, a daughter of Levi. And the woman became pregnant and bore a son, and when she saw that he was exceedingly beautiful, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark or basket made of bulrushes or papyrus, making it watertight by daubing it with bitumen and pitch. Then she put the child in and laid it among the rushes by the brink of the river Nile. And his sister Miriam stood some distance away to learn what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the bank. She saw the ark among the rushes and sent her maid to fetch it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby cried. And she took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. 
Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse of the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go, and the girl went and called the child's mother. It is amazing how the providence of God and how he has things planned out. So Moses' own mother is called to come and nurse her own son. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, verse 9, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called him Moses, for she said, Because I drew him out of the water. And now, of course, it shifts to where he's a, an adult, he's a man, and so on, as, as time goes forward. One day after Moses was grown, it happened that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of Moses' brethren. He looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. He went out the second day and saw two Hebrew men quarreling and fighting and said to the unjust aggressor, Why are you striking your comrade? And the man said, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to slay Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh's presence and took refuge in the land of Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the trowels to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And when they came to Ruel, Jethro, their father, he said, How is it that you've come so soon today? They said, An Egyptian delivered us from the shepherds. Also he drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, Where is he? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses Zipporah, his daughter. And she bore a son, and he called his name Gershom, expulsion, or a stranger there. For he said, I have been a stranger and a sojourner in a foreign land. However, after a long time, nearly 40 years, the king of Egypt died. And the Israelites were sighing and groaning because of the bondage. They kept crying, and their cry because of slavery ascended to God. And God heard their sighing and groaning and earnestly remembered his covenant with Abraham with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the Israelites and took knowledge of them and concerned himself about them. This is why I love the Amplified again. Listen to this simple statement. God saw the Israelites and took knowledge of them and concerned himself about them, knowing all, understanding, and remembering all. Hallelujah. Now why I said that's important even there is, again, you know, when you start this whole journey, there's just so many things to learn. <laughs> and that's a very naive statement, isn't it? But there's just so many things to learn on this journey with Christ, this whole Christian experience. But I guess the number one issue that God would have us to really walk in the light of is the thing that hell and the earth would like us to disbelieve the most, which is simply the fact that God is desperately aware of every single one of your situations and desperately, acutely aware of everything that's going on in this world. There's nothing in this world that is happening there or that ever has happened that God doesn't see. God doesn't understand what's happened that's caused it to be the way that it is. And that God doesn't remember the, all the injustices, all the injustices that have ever been done in the earth are things that God knows and remembers. And God is a God of solutions, nevertheless. God's always a God whose desire is to bring freedom where there's slavery because it's his very nature. You cannot separate God from who he is. And who he is is love. And who love is is someone that always seeks to see Others in freedom, realistically, when it's just said in that simple terms. But I love the way it says, God looked from heaven. He heard the cry of his people. It says he, again, it says he knew all. He understood all. Then he remembered all. There's another verse in Job I don't have written down here that I loved. And I can't quote it exactly, but the just of it, the word trivial is the word that's in the scripture. And it says that there is nothing in the sight of God as it deals with his man that is trivial to him. Nothing. 
Again, we can read Scripture very quickly if we want to and not take time to work with it, but as we say in everything that I've ever taught, Scripture is something you have to work with. That's why we're called to meditate. And remember, the word meditate means to chew like a cow chews its cud. To chew, to chew, to chew, to let it be ingested, and then to bring it back up and chew it some more, let it go down, bring it back up, let it go down, bring it back up. But the Word of God is to consistently be in our mouth and in our mind and in our heart so that we might, you know, meditate and allow it to take form and to blossom and to be all that it's meant to be because, again, God's Word is seed, isn't it? He said it's seed. So right from the beginning, as he begins to deal with Moses and we see this whole pattern, I, I wanted you to read that. And on the outline, again, I just have the same, those last three verses in Exodus there. And point two, I simply said this again. God always hears the cry of his people. I'm repeating myself. But God always hears the cry of his people. Would you just say that? Does anybody here believe it? It's very important, you know. It's very important. Now, why am I saying that? Even that right there. Because, see, you and I have to get to the position where we never questioned that. Where we never questioned that. Where we never questioned that. God always hears the cry of his people. Now, the statement I've always said is uh, one I, was, I learned many, many years ago. You know, when there's something that doesn't seem to fit my experience or my understanding here on earth, the one thing I've had to learn is that I must never, ever, 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 ever judge the character of God by my experience on this earth. I must never judge what's taking place on earth against what God's Word says about Himself. God is a God of justice, and He's a God of love. I mean, remember again, 1 John, He is this thing, this, this animal called love. And God always hears the cry of His people. But this is where we're going to get to the issue of really what, why intercession is so important. But it's just we have to start at the basics to look at this. But I'm telling you, we have to believe this. God always hears the cry of His people as He cannot deny his own compassionate and merciful nature. I've got down here Psalm 50, verse 14 and 15 on the outline, where it simply says this, Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you. And you will honor me. I will deliver you. That's the will of God for every single person in this room unequivocally, absolutely, without any shadow of doubt, God's will is to deliver you from anything that is contrary to His perfect will for your life. That is His will. Full stop. That's His will. That's His will. That is His will. It is His will that we learn how to call upon Him. Now again, there's going to be a lot of other scripture later. We call upon Him in spirit. We call upon Him in truth. We're called, like I said, all the, the basic words about prayer. We return unto God. My word will not return unto me void, but it will accomplish that whereunto I have sent it. And the way God's word returns to Him, as it were, is through the mouths of us, of His people. He said in His word, remember, plead your case with me. Put me in remembrance of my word. Put me in remembrance of my word. And it comes back to this thing why I teach so long and hard on the covenant so much about this issue that we have to grasp right from the beginning that something despicable did take place in the Garden of Eden in the beginning when Adam and Eve fell. Because again, remember, the leasehold, the leasehold, as it were, of this world that was owned by God and had been delegated to Adam and Eve when Adam and Eve, you know, went the way of the liar, Satan, who came to deceive, and they took of that tree and ate, when they did that, they chose a different God. 
And God's word says they were banished from the garden, of course, and there was a great cherub sent there, a cherubim sent there to keep him from entering in, lest he eat of the tree of knowledge of the good and evil, live forever. But the point is that the leasehold of this earth, remember, was turned away from God into the hands of Satan. And death passed into the spirit of all man, all man, even those who did not transgress as Adam did. That's what Romans 5 says. Death passed into the spirit of all men. So as it were, because of man's choice. Now you hear that. Man's choice. Man chose another way. And if you look at the primer, you know, the primer, like in any kind of a mathematical equation or anything, you have to find the, find the prime root of something. When you go back and you consider what was perfect and what became imperfect, it all happened because of choice. Adam made this choice, and that choice caused God to have to banish them from that garden. And now it disallowed man, as it were, from having all of the privileges and the rights that the garden had afforded him before the fall. Now, I'm, trying, I'm stumbling through this already a bit because I'm, I hate to always repeat so many things I've done from other lessons, but you have to. You've got to see this thing. God is in heaven. We are upon the earth. And God had perfect fellowship with man before the fall. As the Bible tells us, man and God walked together evidently in the garden and spoke with one another. Man walked and talked with God. But at, after that point, God doesn't walk on the earth again until the person of Jesus Christ comes manifestations of God occur, but God doesn't walk on the earth with man again after the fall. So what that begins to teach us or show us is that, again, you see, there, there's something in this realm of the Spirit that works whether you and I like to look at it like this or not legally. In other words, God, because He's a God of justice, there's this heavenly sphere of justice. There's this heavenly sphere of of supernatural spiritual law that God abides by whether man does or not. What I mean is, again, I'm just, I'll just act like I've never said it again, never said it in any of the things. We have to really relook at how people teach on the sovereignty of God. Because they say consistently that you know, God can do anything, and of course that's true. God has the ability to do anything without any shadow of doubt. I mean, God's pretty powerful. <laughs> he created everything there is. And through his son, and for that matter, he did. Remember, it says, nothing that was made. There is nothing that was made that was not made by him and through him. Nothing. But nevertheless, if you can picture this, how strong was this law or this covenant or whatever we want to call it? What, what is this that was so strong that from that day forward, man is here and God no longer walks with man. God, as it were, can't come back into the earth because the earth, as it were, was turned over to the hands of another God. So all through history, spiritual history, God began to implement ways where if we would walk in adherence, obedience, if we would walk according to his commandments, that that would then allow God to once again walk in the earth through his people. Uh, I know it's so simple, but we always mess up because of the simple stuff. God still will walk in the earth today, but today he'll walk in the earth through you. But it, let's, even let's just stay in the Old Testament for a bit. So so here's this whole picture. God so longs to work in his people, and this is where we're going to come up to it again. We're going to go through some of these things. Why does God not just do things himself? Isn't that still one of the questions that you hear all over the earth all the time, whether it be the horrific tragedies, the famines? The, why did God let that happen? Why does God let people starve? Why does, why does, why does, why does, why does, why does, and they're all comments that impinge upon the character of heaven and the character of God. 
And this is just the issue. You see, at some point, we in the body of Christ have to wake up and understand something. God has put all the works of his hands, it says, into the hands of his creation, man. And he's waiting for mankind to actually come up to the bar and realize who they are, what their position is, what their responsibility is, and how their authority will work. And their authority will work when it's found in a person who's made a decision to humble themselves before God. But the fact is, God has been, as it were, bound from the world. And in fact, even in the New Testament, remember in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says that Satan is the God of this world. I mean, it just doesn't it. It just says it. Satan is the God of this world. It says the God of this world has blinded the minds of people lest they should see the glorious, the glorious light of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The God of this world has. The God of this world has. Well, there is a God of this world, but then there's the God of all the creation. And we're called, like I said, to worship him, but there's this great, still kind of a spiritual separation between man and God that can only be, only be, it can only be traversed when we traverse it through the knowledge of what God's done in Christ in this testament, but even back then to the knowledge of what God put in place in his covenant. So let's just look afresh. So, but let's, let's stick with this right here. Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High because he said, and I want you to call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. That's the will of God. Everybody say that's the will of God. That is, that is the will of God. I mean, it is the will of God. It is the will of God. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced a day of trouble. But call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. I mean, I have to close my eyes so tight sometimes. And I have, you know, it is a warfare. You have to force out every renegade thought there is. Amen. Of all of the reasons. This is why I preach so hard on the love of God and on the grace of God. Because I am so instantaneously aware of all of my shortcomings and all of the areas that I fall short in my life and all of the areas that I don't come up to the bar. I am not perfection, to say the least. I'm far from being righteous within my own self. I've got so much junk still that goes and attacks my life, and I'm like anyone else. Temptations and tests and trials come, and I have to constantly guard my heart and guard my mind against those things when I go to God in prayer because I have to know that I come to him not in my own righteousness, but I come to him through something he set in place. And you see, evidently he knows I'm not perfect, just possibly. And you see, where I draw great strength and comfort is that when you study this book, the greatest, most powerfully used men of God anywhere you look, you know, were guys that made incredible mistakes. And not just once, over and over again. And somehow, someway, see, there's this thing, this battle of the mind that takes place where we are self-defeated by virtue of the fact that we consistently, we don't even know we do it when we do it. We weigh our God's ability to work in our life by virtue of uh, well, we wait. that's, you know, kind of tempered against all of our self-knowledge of how rotten we are, is all I'm trying to say. But here comes imperfect people all through Scripture to a perfect God. And God works through them if they'll just, just learn to cooperate with Him. But His will is, no matter what, I know that you want to deliver me. See, I will never allow anybody to, to make me think otherwise. I will never allow anybody to tell me, well, in this case, I don't think he wants to deliver you. Or in this case, I don't think he wants to heal you. Or in this case, da-da-da-da-da-da-da, because of all of man's doctrine and man's that. Now, I, that's why you've got to be violent about your faith in areas, and you've got to keep going back to Scripture. All I know is, like you've heard me say again, the people that you revere so greatly, people like Wigglesworth and Lake and all these that you read of and Branham and... George Mueller and others, you know, there weren't many, like I always say, and I want us to hear this again even as we start this afresh, there weren't, there haven't been many Smith Wigglesworths, but there was one. 
There hasn't been many John G. Lakes, but there was one. There haven't been many, you know, John Wesley's, but there was one. What I'm trying to say is, you do understand, very few people paid the price. But to say that what they paid for didn't happen would be a lie. So the issue is that it's available to whosoever will because, again, you have to always start with the revelation of God being no respecter of persons, that he will not do for one what he won't do for another. So the issue is not God's playing favorites with this person against that person. The issue is whether or not we'll just somehow find ourselves in a position where spiritual hunger... uh, finds itself in us to the place that we actually say, I'm going to redeem the time that I have. And as for me, you know, I'm going to search the scriptures and see if he's God. And, you know, it does begin to get lonely, you know, to a degree, because uh, they call you fanatic. And they call you all these other names. And Like I've told you before, again, you know, the word fanatic comes from a Latin word, fanaticus, that I discovered one day that made me laugh because fane, F-A-N-E, means temple in the Latin. It means temple. And fanaticus, you know, like profane, means to do something against the threshold of the temple. And fanaticus, a fanatic in its first term was, quote, someone who always wanted to go to temple. So in today's vernacular, we just say that a fanatic is just somebody who may love God more than you do. (laughs) Oh, well. But nevertheless, I'm just saying, you see, God is the father of all fatherhood, and he's given good gifts into the hands of his children. It's not God withholding anything from you and I. Did you hear me? Did did you really hear me? God is not withholding anything from us. You see, there's just this warfare. And even again, when we get why we have to teach prayer so much, some of the basic things that you see, remember when Daniel prayed, And when the angel came, and remember what that scripture said. He said, your words were heard from the first day that you spoke, but I was withstood by the prince of Persia. And it's just so true. You see, there is this, whether we like it, you know, we've used the phrase spiritual warfare for so long, we've buried it, you know. But there is another, there is, well, that's where it it is reality. And there are angelic forces Whether you think that's fanaticism or not, I don't care. There are angelic forces that war against each other. And we are right now in the midst of a huge, we're we're all on a battlefield and there's bleachers on either side of this room, you know, on either side of your house. And there's all these spiritual forces that are on one side wanting and longing for us to make godly decisions that allow them to be free to move. And there's all these dark forces on the other side that are all up there kind of, you know, dropping this little hint to you to think evil of this person and to think ill of that and maybe steal a little of this. And it doesn't really mean a big deal if you take that from the office or all kinds of little things because, again, he just looks for little areas where we compromise so that he can begin to build a platform of unbelief into our spirit. But it is, there is a spiritual force. And, and this is why somehow down here you do, you have to just find yourself sitting here sometimes with your arms folded tight and your eyes closed as tight as they can and you have to just think on this, that you know right now there is such a war raging. And I mean over this city and this nation, there's, a, I mean it's a phenomenal warfare. A phenomenal, phenomenal warfare over the minds and the hearts of the people of this nation. As there is in every nation, but there is something <coughs> desperately, desperately uh, happening in this nation. You know, there just is. That, is, that, has, that carries such weight in the realm of the Spirit that there's a warfare that's just unbelievable. And God is so searching for some people that will be individuals, uh, some people that will say, you know, I've got time. This is why even like you look here, you look in churches anywhere in the world, the great percentage of everybody are female, always. Uh, either, and there's many reasons for it, just in simple terms, a lot of times women have more time on their hands because the men classically work. Or the other issue is, of course, that principle about the fact that women are... are uh, you do remember that guys, that women came from God too, right? 
So, you know, that's why man and woman, you can't see the wholeness of God until you see man and woman. So God gave us women because that way we can understand why there's so many deep things that can't be understood. <laughs> no, but the old emotional thing about, you know, the, 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 that we speak on, like when we talk about men and women, about men being motivated by their ego and women being, women being motivated by their emotions. Women are, they carry that part of God that is uh, so emotional. So, and that's why, you know, when women, um, the greatest weakness that a woman can carry is to be out of control with her emotions. Well, the same thing with a man. The greatest weakness a man can carry is to, be out, is to have his ego out of check, you know, or, or whatever. But nevertheless, on the positive side of that, women feel more and feel quicker. They feel like spiritually quicker than men do. They're, they'll be far more perceptive and they'll, hear, they'll sense what men don't sense and what have you in areas. But all of this is what I mean. This, this is why... It's everywhere you go in the world, like I said, there's so many women in churches and so few men. But again, this is why I know God's doing what he's doing right now, like he's raising up. There's, God is trying to bless God. Let's you know, bring forth the mighty men. The men have to arise. And I think that's why you know, this great fathering movement is so important. It's taking place over the earth. We've got to find fathers right now. I mean, really, real fathers, you know what I mean? I'm not talking about just males. Uh, one of the things, Dr. Cole's first book, Maximize Manhood, Ben Kinslow said this years ago, he says, being male is a matter of birth, but being a man is a matter of choice. There's a big difference between being male and being man. So God's looking for real men and real women that will serve him and that will begin to understand that there is this warfare that's taking place and that we are being called to stand up and fight right now, a real fight because we can and because he wants us to and because we can make a difference, but we need to know our God. Anyhow, let me get back to this before I get off a million miles over there. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you'll bring me honor is what it says. Now let's just look at some of the other ones real quick that are familiar there, but look at Psalm 91. Here's similar. But let's just try to nail this one as we try to, like I said, to start over these next few hours trying to uh, lay the foundation. Again, I just want you to believe. I want you to believe the fact that God's will is that when you call, He wants to deliver. He wants to deliver you. His will is to deliver you. Psalm 91, of course, um, verse 14 through 16. He puts like a qualification here in verse 14. He said, because he has set his love upon me. And see, this is, that's why, again, we have to teach these other things so much. We need to set the totality of our love upon him. And yet, like I say, I don't want, you, you don't get under law with that. You just realize that it's just the right thing to do, and it's a good thing to do. You set your affections on things above, not on things beneath. But God has promised us that if his people would set, he said, because they have set their love upon me, Therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high. Because he knows and he understands something. He knows and he understands my name. He has a personal knowledge of my mercy, my love, my kindness. He trusts and relies on me knowing something. What is it that he knows? If you've got an amplified in particular, what is it that he knows? Knowing that I will never forsake him. No, never. No, never. I mean, I've got to tell you, that is a life-changing, simple truth. I know that I know that I know. Now, do I get tempted to fear the other one? Absolutely sometimes. But this is why, this is the anchor, this steadfast anchor, this hope that enters beyond the veil that, that you have to have. I've chosen to believe this. And it's what begins to reconstruct your life and bring restoration. I know that he will never leave me. I know that. My mother and father, like David said, may leave me. But the Lord will never leave me. Never. 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 And he can become as real to you as flesh and blood. I said he can become as real to you as flesh and blood. And he so longs to, because let me tell you, you know, the, 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 
it is a tough journey, I have to say, because the, the more you get like that, it's the more he, you find yourself in like really nasty situations, I think, because you see, it takes somebody who knows that God's never going to leave them or forsake them to be used in an area that's pretty tough. You know what I mean? Because when you're in a tough area where everybody's judgmental and everybody's critical and everybody's doing this and doing that and all this junk and what have you like that, it's hell. And if you're moved by everything that's around you in your natural environment, I mean, you will be moved. You'll be moved right out of that town or out of the city. Right out of that. You'll be moved somewhere. But if there's something else that you're holding on to, if there's something else that is even more real to you, like Mueller had, like Wigglesworth had, like Lake had, like Wesley had, something that, that sweet hour of prayer, <laughs> the old song, you know, that, that something that draws you, that where you know that you know that you know in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, you can bow your knee and you know that he's there. You know that he's there. You know that he's there. That, that's the strength. He says, Paul said, we draw forth strength from our communion with God. That is the strength that causes you to, to be martyred like so many were martyred in this land. I mean, you know, think about it. Again, we, we don't want to go there, but like I said, everybody, I, I, it still surprises me all over this nation because of so much that happened in this nation, how many people have never read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you know, which is a classic. If you've not read Fox's Book of Martyrs, shame on you. <laughs> but go get it and read it because you need to see how these men died just, just a mile from here, how they were burnt at the stake and how their bodies were burnt off. There was nothing left of their bodies from their waist down and they were still singing unto God. And praising God right here in this city. You know, there's something, there's a power that comes from believing God that transcends natural pain. I mean, you know, it's the, this is not a joke. This is historical fact you can read about, you know. All over the world, the people that had something in their spirit that was so big that it affected what was happening to their flesh. That their spirit had greater force upon their soul than the fire had upon their flesh. It's incredible. And God's no respecter of persons. I'm just trying to say, you see, there's that, that is available to you and I. It has to be. Because no temptation has taken you but such a common to all men. See, there is a higher life. There is a deeper well. Uh, and, I, and like I said about yesterday, that individual, I know some will choose to never want to drink deep. And we can't condemn them. But it just, it's just a shame. And it goes again to the principle of 30%, 60%, 100% Christianity that God paralleled or God patterned in the tabernacle, the outer court, the inner court, the holy of holies. See, some people... You know, when you first came through that, that gate, you know, there was the altar of sacrifice and there was the brazen labor. Some people never get past this place where they're always making sacrifices. They never do. That's where they stay. They spend their whole life there and they spend their whole life over here being washed from sin day after day after day. They never get to the showbread. They never get up there to where the provision of God is in the inner court. They never get... They never get to where that manna is, much less walk past that to the place where the actual presence of God is that answers all questions. But it's available today to whosoever will. In the Old Testament, remember, only the high priest could go there, but today we're all priests. Right? Yes. Revelation says we're all priests unto our God. And to think that just... A few steps further can open me up to so much more. I would hate to always be just a spectator of it. And you know what I'm trying to say? I don't want to live my whole life as a spectator when I know that he said that veil was rent from top to bottom so that today you and I, by the blood of Jesus Christ, Every single one of us have the right to enter into that place where we actually experience, I mean, 
you know, the Ruach, the heavy presence of God, the glory of God, that answers everything. That answers everything. But you do have to work your way into there because you have to work past this and you have to work past this. Don't you? You really, really do. But he wants you to understand this. And let me read it again out of Psalm 91 there where he said this. He said again, verse 14, because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high. That's God's will for every one of you. Because of something, because you know and you have a personal knowledge of my mercy and my love and my kindness, you trust and rely on me because you know one thing, you know one thing like you know nothing else, he will never leave you or forsake you. So that's why I'll preach the love of God for the rest of my life, no matter what, because you have to have it. He shall call upon me, verse 15 says, this person who has set his love upon him, says he shall call upon me and I'll think about answering him. It's not what it says. It says he will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him. Now listen to this too. Listen to this closely. I will be with him in something called trouble. You need to hear that because he doesn't say that you're never going to experience trouble. Did you hear me? He never said you and I were not going to experience trouble. But he said, I will be with you in it. Like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. The fourth man. I will be with you in it, but he won't just be with you in it to say, yeah, this hurts. I know it hurts. <laughs> he says, I will be with you in trouble and I will deliver you and honor you. And with long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. You know that that's the will of God for every one of you in here today? It's not the will of God that any one of you die prematurely. Do you hear me? The Bible says in our pathway there's life, there's no, there's no premature death. Many, many people lose at this game called life. And they blame God because of horrendous circumstances, unexplainable situations. They're, like I said, there's a million things I can't explain. People ask me questions, you know, about stuff. There's a million things I can't explain, but I do know this. They have spiritual ties. Did you hear me? And see, I can't afford to allow you to put doubt in my spirit because I have to keep going back to this. And this never changes. And this says God is good. This says, this says he's never, ever, 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 ever hurt anybody. Love never hurts anyone, Romans 13, 10. Ever, ever. What it does teach is over and over again that people, when they step again out from underneath the covenant of God, they voluntarily put themselves in places where the protective hand of God is not able to protect by virtue of disobediences. And even things happen. And I don't know about all the past issues and stuff like this, but there's things, all I do know is this, the things that I can't understand are spiritually understood. And I, I, there was a song written years ago where I went to Bible school called Don't Ask Why. And I want to tell you something. You have to catch yourself when you start asking why a lot. Because I guarantee you it will destroy your faith. Because you will think, you and I will think with our peanut-sized brain that we can dare figure out the mysteries of God in its totality. None of us can. So there are some things that, like the Bible says, the secret things belong to God. Yeah, and he'll reveal some of them. But the secret things, there are secret things. I don't know. So don't ask me because I don't know. <laughs> But you see, what I read, I do know. And what I do know is that God is good, that his will is, if you will set your love upon me, I will be with you in trouble, and I will deliver you, and I will honor you. That's his will. That I know, because I can read. And I know that his will is that with long life, I want to satisfy you and show you my salvation. And the next one on the list there is, uh, again, this is all familiar, Jeremiah. But just put, you know, look at him like you've never seen him. Jeremiah 29. 11 through 13. I'll tell you what, I'm going to start all the way back in verse 4 just because I want to. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Remember Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. He's prophesying to Israel while they're in captivity in Babylon because of all their disobedience. 
Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the captives whom I have caused to be carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build yourselves houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat the fruit of them, take wives, have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not be diminished. And seek, verse 7 says, and seek, inquire for, require and request the peace and welfare of the city to which I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for it, for in the welfare of the city in which you live, you will have welfare. Which is a very important scripture to anybody that's a missionary. (laughs) But he said that in the welfare of the city where you've been carried to, if you'll seek the welfare of the place you've been sent to, in that you'll find your own welfare. Very important for all of us. I can't curse London. I can't curse England. I don't curse London. And I don't curse England because I would be cursing myself. You know what I'm trying to say? But in the midst of all this, (laughs) verse 8, For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Let not your false prophets and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you. And trust me, there's a lot of false prophets in the midst of the body of Christ. Pay no attention and attach no significance to your dreams, which you dream, or to theirs. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, verse 10, when 70 years are completed, I will visit you and keep my good promise to you, causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts. You think he knows his thoughts? I mean, it's such a dumb question, but think about it. <laughs> he said, for I know, you see, there's something, God never changes. It's not God's will that any of his people be in captivity. But people find themselves in captivity all the time, even today. But his will is not for them to stay there. His will is for them to learn how to call upon him. There's so many scriptures I could go to where it talks about You know, when you come and you have sinned and you've done this and you've done this, all through Chronicles you'll find this. Jehoshaphat, especially when God's speaking to Jehoshaphat. And you return to this place where I have placed my name and you call upon me and you ask me to forgive you. In that day I will deliver you and in that day I will restore to you your fortune. In that day I'll do this. The issue is not what you've done to get away from God. The issue is that God's always waiting for you to return to him. And every time you return to him, what God's word says over and over again is, I'll restore, I'll deliver, I'll, I'll liberate. Because you see, I'm love, I love you, I want you, I need you, you're my kid. Uh, I just, all you have to do is, is repent and say, I'm sorry, and let's get back into business. You know, instead of, you know, having some preacher tell you to go spend the next 25 years in a monastery, eat worms and lay on nails. Never mind. He said, for I know the thoughts and plans that I have for you, says the Lord. And these are the thoughts and the plans that he has. Remember, thoughts and plans for welfare and peace, not for evil. To give you hope in your final outcome. Then you will call upon me. And I will hear and heed you. Then you will seek me, inquire for, and inquire and require as a vital necessity. Excuse me. Then you will seek me, inquire for, and require me as a vital necessity, and find me when you search for me with all your heart. When you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you. Is that a good promise or what? Just the simplicity of it, but hear it. See, God's not hiding from you. God's not hiding from anybody. The God that we serve, I love Acts 17 again. It says that we seek after God, though he be not far from every one of us. It says we feel after God. I love that. It says we feel after God, though he be not far from every one of us. And see, that's all, again, all of us, we're feeling after God. I always say the, the oldest illustration, I just remember the old pull chain where you turn a light on in a room when you walk into a dark room and you know it's there somewhere. And finally you reach it and whatever. See, that's what all this is about. You, you close your eyes so tight 
and you just get in this word and you get in prayer to the point you begin to feel after God. But hear his promise. Hear what his promise is. We feel after God. Though he is not far from every one of us. We feel after God that we may be found by him. Though he be not far from every one of us. I mean he's so close. He's as close to you as what you believe He's as close to you as what you believe. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will release you from captivity and gather you from all the nations and all the places to which I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. Because God's will is always to bring restoration and freedom wherever he goes. Now just see if we can get one more and return to Psalm 86. Don't worry, we'll get back here to Moses, but we have to lay this first. Psalm 86, verse 5 and 5 through 7. For you, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive our trespasses, sending them away, letting them go completely and forever. And you are abundant in mercy. And those are huge words, by the way. I mean, abundant is like, you know, a battleship full. It's huge. He says, For you are abundant in mercy and loving kindness to all those who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and listen to the cry of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call on you, for you will answer me. For there is none like unto you among the gods, O Lord, neither are there works like unto yours. And how it goes on. In the day of my trouble, I will call on you, for you will answer me. In Psalm 145, let's just read this one word and then we'll stop. Psalm 145, verse 18. It says, The Lord is near. Somebody say hallelujah. Just make me feel better. The Lord is near to all. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. To all who call upon him sincerely and in truth. Whether God's word is truth, we, go, we come according to the word and we come according to the sincerity of our heart. In verse, the next verse says, He will fulfill, he will fulfill the desires of those who reverently and worshipfully fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserves all those who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. So we just need to start here and look again. That again, we're trying to just build faith in the most simple principle of all, that we have to be persuaded, like I always say, beyond, I mean, doubt. Everybody look up at me again. Remember, here's doubt. Everybody say, here's doubt. See the doubt? You've got to be persuaded. Way beyond doubt. I mean, you, you, you got to get, you got to get, doubt's got, you got to leave doubt in the dust. You got to be persuaded beyond doubt that his ears are open to your cry. Let's just stop there for right now, this person. Father, we thank you again for your word and we trust you to help us in these matters as we reestablish the platform for our faith and what this training is all about to become somebody that stands between you and man to make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.